Welcome to 757 Tales, Stories from Hampton Rose, Season 1, Episode 5. Today's stories include The Bridge is Out, Lady, Is This Your Purse, Several U-Boat Stories, and The Story of the Cape Henry Rack, with guest Virginia Beach historian, author, actor, and reenactor, Al Tuning. Next comes The Bridge is Out. How can an absent bridge cause a shipwreck, or can it? I don't think it can, but a shipwreck can certainly cause an absent bridge. The bridge in question is the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel, which is considered one of the um, eight man-made wonders of the world. It took four years of planning and four years of construction to be completed, and it's 17 and a half miles between Virginia Beach and Cape Charles on the eastern shore. There's two sections of tunnel, which are 75 feet below the surface. On each end of the tunnels, there's an island, and then between there, a low-level bridge. It shortens the trip from Delaware to Virginia by 150 miles right. by going over the bridge tunnel. So it was significant for transportation. Now, the ship we're going to deal primarily with was the USS Yancey. Now, the Yancey was built in Oakland, California and launched in 1944. And it served with distinction in the Battle of Iwo Jima. It was a cargo attack ship and two of its LSTs at the landing of Iwo Jima, one was hit by enemy shell and another one sank. Because of its distinction, it was one of the ships in the harbor at the signing of the surrender, when the Japanese surrendered. And it served in the Mediterranean over the years, back and forth. 1965, it took 593 evacuees from the Dominican Republic and took them to San Juan, Puerto Rico, for their safety. A very, very honorary history. Until... First of all, let me tell you about the pilings on the bridge. I had to to look this one up. It wasn't in my head when I first described the bridge. There's 2,600 pilings that hold up the bridge. Wow. Each one are 54 inches in diameter and are driven into the floor bed about 100 feet. Wow. They weigh 850 pounds per linear foot. So that's over 600 tons per piling. On January 21st, 1970, the Yancey was anchored in a designated Navy anchorage about 2,000 yards off the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. When around midnight, the wind shifted from southwesterly to northeasterly, and the winds picked up to about 30 knots, gusting to 50. The captain had posted an anchor watch, and they reported that the Yancey was dragging anchor. So they scrambled, they dropped a second anchor, additional anchor, and it still continued to drop. The watchman at the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel realized it was a lot closer than it should be, so he called the toll offices, the toll booths on either end of the bridge and had them stop all traffic. And he also notified the Coast Guard that there was about to be an accident. The stern of the Yancey started banging into the pilings and a tug was dispatched. Tug couldn't do anything. The Yancey said that they were worried that starting their engines would cause more damage. So the tug couldn't do anything until the Yancey had come completely through the bridge. It left a 450-foot gap in the bridge. Yeah, the Coast Guard Cutter Cherokee was there to assist, and likewise, they couldn't get in next to the bridge to do anything. There were no injuries, and the ship only sustained minor damage, but the bridge tunnel was out of service for almost five weeks. And the reason they were able to repair it so quickly is because they had leftover pilings, oh, wow. um, and because the, the bridge was only a few years old, and, and say so they were able to, to rebuild the bridge mm-hmm. tunnel. There were two other cases of the b- bridge being damaged, uh, both by barges. This is kind of minor. Well, one of them did close the bridge for like four days. But, but compared to the ANSI, 
minor damage. In the meantime, a second parallel bridge has been added, and it's very popular for fishing. There's one particular spot called the Yancey Wreck that people fish. Sure. Uh, it's not the wreckage of the Yancey, but it's wreckage caused by the, the Yancey. Yancey. 450 feet of bridge. Yeah. yeah. You turn to World War II next, and I love the first chapter, Lady, Is This Your Purse? The chapter is actually just war. Because right. um, this event happened in, in World War One, and, and I don't mm-hmm. think people realize that the German U-boat threat was probably worse in the First World War than in the Second World mm-hmm. War, because in the Second World War, at least we had a way to fight them. Right. But in the First World War, the U-boats were sinking wooden sailing ships. Right. Um, and there wasn't was sonar just, and a lot of the other ex- Exactly. Ships. And just like World War II, they were operating off the Virginia coast. Mm-hmm. And on August of 1918, the U-117 was about 125 miles off the Virginia coast. It was dark. They saw a silhouette of a ship. They realized it was a wooden sailing ship, no threat. So they surfaced. They used their deck gun to fire and immobilize the ship. They pulled up alongside, and they realized it was a Norwegian ship called the Nordhav. Mm-hmm. They sent several crew members from the submarine aboard the Nordhav, helped the passengers disembark into the lifeboats, set them adrift, other members of the crew went around planning explosive charges in the ship. And once the survivors had gotten away, they returned their submarine and blew up the Nordhaf. Right. So a couple of days later, the USS Kearsarge is operating offshore, and it finds the lifeboats from the Nordhaf and rescues the people. That same day, people on the Virginia Beach oceanfront see a small open boat offshore, maybe a mile and a half offshore. And they gather around, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of what is that, and the anticipation is you get closer and closer, and then they realize, oh, it's a lifeboat. You couldn't wait any longer. Finally, a couple guys jumped in and swam out there, and right on the front of the boat, it said Nordhav, and so they towed it in and everything. People are gathering around like, oh, gosh, I hope whoever's in it is okay. And they were very relieved when they look in, because there wasn't anybody. Right. But what they found was astonishing. There was plenty of food, several bottles of liquor, a dress and a lady's purse with $1,000 in it. Wow. No identification. 1918, 1000 bucks was a lot of money. It was. That's it. Huh? That's it. Did they ever, they don't say what happened to the money or anything? Nope. Yeah. I'm sure that it was kept for safekeeping. Yes. Yeah. Probably somewhere it's still being held when the yes. when the ancestors of whoever was in that right. boat. On the Nordhoff. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay. I'm going to take a wild stab, Al, and conjecture that no April Fool has to do with April 1st. Am I right? You are right. The story is about... Another German submarine, World War II. This is the U-754. And at the beginning of the war, the German submarines were over here in just small numbers, but the amount of damage they were doing was just incredible because yeah. we weren't prepared and we weren't using escorts or whatever. Work right, we had the lights on. And... So the word had gotten back to Germany that, man, it's like fishing a barrel over there. But the end of March, U-54, whose commander was Osterman, arrived off Virginia's eastern shore. After a couple days, he hadn't found anything. He was very frustrated. And then one night, he saw a tugboat pulling two barges. He was desperate for something to do. First, he went after the Menominee, which was the tug. They cut the barges loose. They tried to run. He chased it. He sank it. I don't believe there was any fatalities on that. Mm-hmm. The other guys had right. hidden on the backside of, of the boat to protect him from the machine gun fire, and then right. he escaped in the water. Then he went after the two barges because they were... War product, one of them was wood and one of them was coal. Set fire to both of those and then headed south. 
Coincidentally, on April 1st, a tanker named the Tiger was sitting out offshore waiting for a pilot boat to come in and escort them into Hampton Roads where they could unload their fuel up. It was dark. At this point, we're in blackout conditions. It sees a small silhouette on the water. It assumes that it's the pilot boat. So he gets out his little clicker light, and here I am, the captain of the U-754. There you are. Thanks. (laughs) And proceeds to torpedo it. April Fools. Uh, So it didn't sink initially. It sank partially, and the tug relief came in and tried to tow it in. Ultimately, it was declared a total loss, and it was allowed to sink with the bridge and the funnel stuff still visible, so they ultimately, you know, destroyed that. Then on July 31st, the 754 had made its way north near Boston. It was bombed and sunk by a patrol plane. Yeah, I've seen the Tiger on the wreck chart, the National Geographic one, right out there. That's one of several. There's one out there that had vehicles on it. Right. Tanks, half-tracks, all this kind of stuff, still sitting on the decks out there. I'm surprised the Tiger was in that shallow water. That must be a shoal or something, right? There, so. Well, the unfortunate thing about it is water clarity out there. One day it'll be 50 feet. The next right. day it's five inches. You just never know. Changes all the time. The Gulf Stream, I guess, runs through there and changes. So. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Histories and Haunts costumed interpreters bring history to life in a way that is both educational and entertaining. Here's a very short, personal story. I had an experience when my mom died. My dad was out of town. My mom had Alzheimer's. The day he came home, she died in, at home before cell phones. My dad called me, said, I think mom's had a stroke. Please come over. I was on my way over there. I said, no, she's dead. I called 911 on the, well, back then you had to dial one. I reported her, showed up at the house. The firefighters are there. They're looking at me and it's like, oh crap, it's the captain's bomb. We got to do something. I'm like, no, no, she's, she's dead. Just let it go. My dad was livid because he, was a, he and my mom were founding members of the local church. But during her bit with Alzheimer's, nobody ever volunteered to come over to help. So he's going to get even with the church. I'm not going to have the, ch- the service there. I'm going to have the service at the funeral home. To hell with a church. My second ex-wife and I invited him to come to our house. They were in Thalia, and I lived in Kempsville. So my dad came over, spent the ha- night with us in Kempsville, and I woke up, and I heard my mom's voice saying, in the church, in the church, in the church, just over and over again. So I, I woke up, and I realized that my second ex-wife was sitting up in bed, and it was her talking, but it was my mom's voice. So I went to wake her up, and she was icy cold. She's diabetic. Okay, insulin reaction. I know how to deal with this. I went back to the kitchen, and I got some glucagon and got her soda. And as I'm coming back down the hallway, she's calling for my father by a nickname that Linda didn't know. It was a personal name that my mother had for my father, Totsy. As I'm walking down the hall, Linda's going, where's Totsy? Where is he? Where's Totsy? Where is he? Checked her blood sugar, perfectly normal. Laid her back down. She slept through the night, had no memory of it the next morning. Hi, I'm Al Tuning, owner and creator of Histories and Haunts. Thank you for watching this video, and I hope you'll remember us when you're planning something special for a school presentation or a community event, or you're looking for a public speaker, or maybe just some good family fun. As you've seen, we have an awful lot to offer. If you have questions about anything on the website, please contact me and I'll respond as quickly as I can. Al can be found online at www.historiesandhaunts.com or by phone at 757-498-2127. Now, General MacArthur's Day, I'm guessing that didn't go well for him. 
or them? What's the tide of the general on where and what occurred? Well, again, relating to the submarine warfare, the person in charge of the German submarine navy was Admiral Karl Dernitz. Right. And he had sent this group of boats to patrol off the Virginia coast or the American coast at the beginning of the war. It was called Operation Packenschlag, which isn't a real word. It's a noise. <laughs> but it, it's the noise made when you play a kettle drum. Right. But so Operation Pockenschlag was the, the four boats that arrived, five boats that arrived off mm-hmm. our coast. Well, defense, it didn't take long before the defenses picked up and, and the effectiveness of, of the initial attack was waning. Mm-hmm. And they knew that once America got involved in the war and started shipping goods over to London or to England and the European theater, that would shorten the war. Sure. So everything was being done to keep the ships here. And so a plot was, was hatched to send three U-boats to the United States with saboteurs on them. There were going to be four boats initially. They would come ashore, saboteurs would come ashore with them. They had counterfeit money. They had incendiary devices in lumps of coal. Right. So the idea was anywhere there's coal, just throw it in there. When people's furnaces at home start blowing up or if it blows up on a train or whatever else... People are scared, terrorism, the Germans, so they don't want their troops to go overseas. They want them to come here. I was correct. We're only three. Yeah. One went to New York, and one went to Florida. Mm-hmm. And the third was scheduled to come here. But at the last minute, the loyalty of the saboteurs came under suspicion. So they wanted to go with their initial plan to hit the entire coast. Right. And so they took a Type 7 U-boat and equipped it with 15 magnetic mines sent it out here since the Chesapeake Bay was the primary route in and out of the Atlantic Ocean, they would mine the entrance to the Chesapeake Bay. Again, it didn't matter if it was warships or whatever else. The commander they chose, uh, Dernitz called him my gallant Dagan after it was all over, was Horse Dagan, a 27-year-old officer. His boat was the 701. They'd had one war cruise before this operation. They sank one ship. Their job was to come to the United States, not make contact with anybody until they were in position. They had some maps of the Chesapeake Bay showing where the channel was, and they determined that it was going to be right there. The idea was to run at periscope depth as much as possible, but he realized that the water was so shallow that he didn't have room to run at periscope depth. Wow. Okay, so they waited offshore. Um, They arrived June 12th, 1942. And so they're established offshore now, kind of waiting for the tide and everything else to be right. And they're picking up American radio broadcasts. Mm-hmm. And we're happy to announce that today, June 12th, 1942, has been declared General MacArthur Day. Oh. <laughs> okay. And so in my interview with uh, Captain Dagan, he goes, so we thought we'd leave a present for General, General MacArthur, MacArthur in right. the form of 15 magnetic mines. And so over the course of the next couple of days, they were amazed because they could see headlights on the cars right. going by. And they set the mine so close to shore that they were actually afraid that the headlights would illuminate their boat. They did this at night, running on the surface with right. their electric engine. Right. And so they made two passes. They started north, went south, then came back up north and led two trips. Well, as they got into position and they dropped a couple of mines, they looked and here comes an American patrol boat. Small patrol boat, you know, right. eight, 85 footer or whatever else. Right. They're blacked out. He's blacked out. They're on silent running. So he just shuts everything down. They go right by him. Wow. Cool. Okay. 
So now, actually, I'm mistaken because the first time they were on diesel power. Okay. And when he saw that ship, he said, nope, electric power from now on. Yeah, so yeah. Somehow they didn't see him. Yeah. So they laid the first path, the mines, and they were coming back. Here comes the patrol boat on return. Same scenario. It's like, we're just going to sit here and let them go by. Yeah. And, and these had 72-hour delayed fuses on them. So he set them, and by the time they were going off, he was off the coast of North Carolina. Right. He had quite an encounter down there. He did this time meet and, and sank an American patrol boat. Um, with machine gun fire. Wow. Um, yeah. They just, you know, ended up so close together that he raked the decks with machine gun fire and not everybody was killed. Right. Um, a lot of them, you know, escaped overboard, yeah. but the boat was disabled. And he heard after the war that the captain of the patrol boat had been court-martialed for dereliction of duty. Right. And Dagan said he had no choice. Right. You know, right. there's nothing he could have no. done. No. We had him dead to rights, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he sank two more boats off North Carolina before his boat was actually sunk by an airplane. During that time, uh, a convoy came into the Hampton Roads area and ran afoul of the minefield. The SO Augusta was damaged. There was another one that sank. And then there was a small British defense boat, you know, fast wooden hull that saw all the explosions. So he raced up to see if he could help. This was the HMS Kingston Salonite. And they ran through the minefield, so they blew up. So all these mines going off just a few miles offshore. Right. Um, of course, everybody thought the whole German Navy was on their way here. So obviously they shut everything down. Then they realized that boats were dropping depth charges everywhere right. and planes were flying all around. Right, because they thought there was a substance. Right, they, they thought it like was torpedoes. torpedoes. Yeah. Yeah. So when they re- realized it was mines, they divided the area into three sections. So the minesweepers did section one turned and did Section 2, and then turned and did Section 1 again. Right. So the next day when ships were outbound, they're still hitting the mines. So now they had to stop again, and this time they swept all three areas right. of it and finally released it. A few days later, they captured Dagan. He and a few of his mates survived after like 35 hours bobbing right. up and down in the ocean. They had no idea he was connected right. to it. It wasn't until after the war wow. that he yeah. knew that. And this is a this is kind of a, a funny anecdote. I was at the National Archives doing research, and they have copies of the interview right. with Dagan. Right. You know, and they'd never captured. They had sunk the U-85, loss of all hands, so they never captured anybody. So this is the first person that they had you know, been able to talk to. But they really didn't know what to ask him. Right. You know, so yeah. they... We noticed there's a lot of potatoes in the water near where your boat went down. Do you, do you eat a lot of potatoes on the, right, on right. the boat? You know, and I thought this was humorous. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I took the page up to the, the book, up to the lady at the desk, like the librarian. Mm-hmm. And I said, could I get a copy of this? She goes, well, I have to call somebody from the Bureau. Excuse me? Yeah. She goes, well, it's marked right here, top secret. Ma'am, we haven't been at war with Germany for over 50 years. I don't think right. we give a rat's ass where they got their potatoes from at the time. <laughs> I just want a copy. Of this. <laughs> no, I have to call the, the Bureau and it'll take yeah. several days for me to get here. And I say, well, forget yeah. it. Surprised they had in their archives without a declassification. Well, the, yeah. to continue that story, another time I was at the Washington Navy Yard, mm-hmm. and I'd been there many times, and I got to know one of the ensigns that worked in there. And so I got to know where the stamps, that the right. stamp stuff were, and all that kind of yeah. my way around. So I found this one picture that I wanted copied, but this one was marked top secret classified or whatever. So I said, can I get a copy of this? Yeah. He goes, well, you know who the machine is. I'm like, yeah, but this one's, this one's marked top secret. Oh, 
So he pulls open a drawer, he takes out a stamp that says declassified, stamps yeah. it, and hands it back to me. He goes, there. <laughs> That's why you were doing your new book. book yes. Yeah. Kind of a neat, again, if this was a movie, sure. it would have been great with this patrol boat going by and all that. But in order to have the 15 torpedoes, he had seven in each front torpedo tube and one in the stern torpedo tube. No torpedoes. Right, right. Mines, tor- it's all mines. Yeah. Right, they're all mines. Space, so, yeah. right. so the torpedoes were stored on deck as well as the normal supply below right. deck. So after he'd set the mines, he's offshore that night, and they're transferring the torpedoes from the deck. They have to open a small hatch on the deck mm-hmm. and angle the torpedoes in. The torpedo room, yeah. 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 And one gets jammed. So the sun's coming up. They can't dive because his torpedo's stuck through their through yeah. their hull. Yeah. You know, and they're just like, oh, you know, where's the plane? Right, because we we've had it. We've had it. <laughs> nope, nobody ever showed up, and they right. were able to... To get, get the torpedo in without incident. Wow. That's that's a pretty hairy, uh, hair-raising adventure. Yeah, well, that whole story would make a great movie. For sure. Speaking of Harry, um, the pilot that was flying the plane that sank Dagon 701 was named Harry Kane. Um, Dagon was brought to Norfolk Naval Hospital with the rest of his crew. Kane was brought in and introduced to Dagon. This is the man that sank you. Dagon was in a wheelchair. He struggles out of the wheelchair. He snaps his salute, and he goes, good attack. <laughs> That's great. And they remained friends. After yeah. the war, they reunited. Yeah. Uh, Kane went over to Germany and visited wow. Horst and his wife. Yeah. That. Wow. That's really neat. That's a, a story from a bygone era, that's for sure. Last but surely not least, there was the Cape Henry wreck. What made this story stand out from other wrecks at or near the entrance to the Chesapeake? Well, the Cape Henry wreck is just a nickname given to a ship called the Chalore, which was indirectly a victim of a submarine. Oh, okay. Off the coast of North Carolina, there was a convoy passing, and the commander of the U-756, Captain Lieutenant Heinke, was in the absolute best place possible. He'd managed to maneuver into the center of the convoy. Wow. All the patrol ships, defense ships on the outside ring, He's happily in the middle, so he's got three torpedo tubes. He fires all three. Unfortunately, one of his officers didn't calculate correctly for the change in buoyancy. So with the torpedoes gone, the sub just pops up to the surface and is immediately pounced on. Right. <laughs> and the patrol boat gets there and fires a shot through the conning tower. The boat sinks. The Captain Hinky is captured. Kind of, kind of skip ahead in the story a little bit, though. Hinky was career Navy humiliated right. by the fact that the, that the boat that sank him, the guy was a reservist. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he just, he, you know, it's like, oh, crap, I'm going to go eat yeah, worms. Yeah, I'll never exactly. live this down. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, his torpedoes, in the meantime, were hitting ships. Mm-hmm. Two of them they hit uh, was the Chalore and the Mowinkle, and then lost track of the third one. Okay, But the Chalore and the Mowinkle did not sink. So the rest of the convoy continued, the Mowinkle and the Chalore, were taken in tow, and they were on their way into North Carolina, led by a Coast Guard officer who didn't know about the defensive minefields or didn't read his chart correctly or whatever else. So he he led both of these ships through the American minefield while the Moinkle sank. Yeah. Okay. The Chalori is already damaged, so they changed course and they brought that up, trying to take it to Hampton. They got around Cape Henry and it sank. Yeah. Over the years, they blasted it and everything else, and now it's known as the Cape Henry wreck. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
another one on on your charts for fishing charts that'll show that. That's crazy. Please join us next week for another episode of 757 Tales next Wednesday at noon. Thanks for tuning in.